0: You're all paying attention. Let's all really latch on to this fictional or this fictional rather scenario. Okay, imagine that someone paid and gave you an all expense trip to an incredible destination. I mean, it's beyond your dreams, you would not probably be able to afford it on your own. Somebody gave this to you as a gift, and you accept that gift. And then you learn from that benefactor, you learn from that person that gave you that gift that one of the awesome parts of the trip that that person paid for is to have your very own trip advisor, your very own guide who is expertly familiar with the very best ways to maximize your enjoyment, the very best ways to avoid common travel mistakes, and this advisor is coming with you, not going to be in your room, not going to be uh, you know, in the very private part of your, your trip, but that person's going to be with you, and that person's going to be a resource for you every part of that trip to be able to help you have the best trip you've ever had. What a vacation that would be, the trip of a lifetime, Now, I want you to bring that concept, Christian, into your own experience of salvation, all right? So let's bring that in for a moment. Jesus came to earth. He took on humanness. He took on humanity. He lived a perfectly obedient life. Something, come on, let's just be honest. You've never done it. I've never done it. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Not Jesus. He lived Perfectly obedient to his Father. He kept the entire law of God in every detail. Which means, listen, all that means is that he loved God perfectly at every moment. With all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved always his neighbor as himself. So he kept all the law by loving perfectly. And he dies on the cross. And he provides really for the trip of a lifetime. Salvation salvation but not just salvation from sin he provides freedom he provides joy but how do you live that salvation out so he sent a trip advisor he sent a travel agent he sent a guide his name is the spirit of god who would do more than just send us pamphlets of scripture on how to live the Christian life, he would personally, the Spirit would, travel with us. He would go through life with us. He would teach us moment by moment how to live out this salvation. Not only teaching us, but he's going to provide the power for us to be able to live out the freedom that Jesus gained for us on the cross. Now, I love the way the New Living Translation puts Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. It says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, look at that screen for a moment. This is huge. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, are you seeing all the theology in this? Are you seeing all the truth in that? I mean, Paul's the apostle. He's writing this. He's inspired by the Spirit of God to write these words. And the Spirit of God through Paul says, come on, you've got to work out your salvation. You've got to work at it with all of your energy, all of your strengths, every day. But listen, it's not really going to be with your strengths. It's going to be with God's strengths that is being poured in you. And that strength is giving you the power. It's giving you the desire. It's changing your heart so you've got the want to. To do what you ought to. That's pretty awesome truth. You see, we're free, Christian. And this is only a truth for Christians. We are free from the penalty and the power of sin. Now, time out for a second. Let's just be truly, truly honest. Let's level the playing field for a moment. How many of you, just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you for personal information. How many of you know that you sinned this month of February? All right, let's make it a little, let's, let's dial it in a little bit. How many of you know you sinned this past week? Uh, let's be really brave. Uh, this is a tough one. How many of you know that you sinned today? Now, what, one of the aims of this message is to help all of you that did not raise your hand for today's sinner... To realize that you abundantly sin today, but not leave you with that. Going through that to find the mercy of God. And to find how he can display that mercy and goodness in your life so that other people can be blessed. You see, God's spirit is working in you, Christian brother and sister. He's working in me. And here's what he's doing. Ready? Now get this. If you don't get this, you really miss the whole sermon series. The spirit of God is pouring into us the life of Christ. I mean, that's honestly the summary of this whole series. He's pouring into us the life of Christ so that the character of Jesus increasingly becomes the character of Tim Ackley and the character of you, brother and sister in Christ. See, we're looking at the sixth virtue in the fruit of the Spirit bowl. Look at your, in your uh, verse 22 of Galatians 5. It's called goodness. And to the Jewish people, well, here's what they believed. One became good... By keeping the Torah, by keeping the law of God. That's how the Jewish people believed you became good. To the Greek person, I mean, Paul's writing this to the church of Galatia, churches of Galatia, lots of churches, lots of Greek people, lots of Jewish people in there. Well, the Greek people believed that you became good through instruction in Greek philosophy. So that's why Aristotle was so incredibly influential. you got to listen to his instruction. And the more you listen to it, the more you conform to it, the more good you will be. But the gospel, the gospel says you're made good by Jesus Christ, and you learn to grow in that goodness by the Spirit of God. And as we dig into this virtue of goodness, what we're going to discover, you ready, sneak peek, I'm going to really flesh this out. You're going to discover along with me that you got to look really, really closely at this one. You've got to look really carefully because it's a lot like the word kindness, which is the one right before this. Now, my, my wife is here tonight. My wife is, um, has a twin sister. And she learned, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, all of her life, her and her twin sister Diana grew up thinking that they were identical twins. Maybe eight years ago, they just discovered their mom just dropped a bombshell. You're not identical twins. You're fraternal. That was actually grievous for them to hear that. Now, if you know Denise and you know her sister Diana, which few of you do, but they look very, very, very identical. They sound, listen, they sound almost exact on the phone. From what I hear... They used to, when one of them was dating somebody and they got tired of talking to the boy, hand the phone to the other person. I have it on record that never happened with me. But I was about five years into our marriage before I was absolutely sure which one I married. They're very, very, very similar. They're fraternal, but they're not identical. But for you who do not know them very well, you're going to have a really hard time telling the difference between them. See, goodness and and kindness, here's our our word, goodness, the one last week, kindness. They're not identical twin words. They're fraternal. They're extremely similar. And we're going to need to evacuate this word really, really slowly and carefully. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, A little while ago, my family, probably for the sixth time, saw Jurassic Park 3. How many of you have seen Jurassic Park 3? I think it's the best one of any of them. It starts towards the beginning with uh, Billy. He's laying on his stomach. There's an intern girl, and they're laying over the remains of some kind of dinosaur bones. And they've been calcified into stone, and they're brushing it slowly away. Billy's teaching her how to do that, slowly exposing the skeletal system of the dinosaur. Well, that's literally going to be, I guess I should say, metaphorically going to be the way that we're going to approach the excavation of this word. We're going to brush it away. I'm going to give you four brush strokes, and each one of them, it's going to make it a little bit more clear exactly what goodness is and how you live it out. So here we go. I want you to imagine lying on the ground. I want you to imagine there's a brush in your hand. You're looking over the, the word goodness and we're going to brush it grain by grain until we expose this clearly. Brush stroke number one. Here we go. Goodness defined. What on earth does it mean? Goodness defined. You know, there's an epitaph in, on a uh, grave marker in Bristol, England. There's actually two gravestones. And uh, it goes like this. Here lie John and Richard Ben, two lawyers and two honest men, God works miracles now and then a little poem in England right who knows anything of honest lawyers did you know that they could exist I don't know why we hired pastor Matthew he's a former attorney or I don't know he says he's one of either a lawyer or an attorney I don't know which one but we think he's honest that's why we made him a pastor But it's hard. Is that really what goodness is? Finding an honest lawyer? Is that that how you define this word? Well, here we go. I'm going to brush it away. Goodness translates surprisingly the word you're going to see on the screen in the Greek. And it gives us the name Agatha. Now, you may not have ever met a woman named Agatha. There's only 5,885 girls that were named Agatha since 1880. It's a name that has completely fallen out of vogue. But it's a beautiful name. It's a loss to us that there aren't more Agathas. Listen, if you're going to have a baby, even if it's a baby boy, name the thing Agatha. (laughs) It's a beautiful name. It means goodness. It means excellence, moral sweetness. That's what the name Agatha means. But that's not really giving us much yet. So let's brush it away a little bit more. Goodness, the word, is the expression of kindness in word and deed. Now, all I'm doing is just brushing things away. I'm just trying to expose it for us. We're going to really get deeper into this. But let me say this when the Spirit of God produces goodness in us, and really, isn't that what you want to know? What's this look like in me? What's this look like in you? So, when the Spirit of God's producing goodness, Then that kindness that's in our heart springs into action. There's a generosity that becomes helpful for other people. So, so far, what we're learning is goodness is kindness in action. Now, we're going to go a little bit deeper. This is a super simple message, by the way. It's just lots of brushstrokes. We're going to get really familiar with this. So, we've got two fraternal twins we've got kindness. And we've got goodness. And I'm going to teach you how you, can, how you can distinguish between the two of them. It's a wonderful little saying. Kindness is love being. While goodness is love doing. Now if I were in your shoes and with your Bible. I would really want to draw a line around goodness and around kindness. And I would want to put it in the margin. Kindness is love being. Goodness is love doing. So, kindness, as Jerry Bridges says, is a sincere desire to the happiness of others. It's goodness, it's the activity that's calculated to advance somebody's happiness. So if you've got goodness filling up your heart by the Spirit of God, then you've got an increasing desire, how do I bless somebody else? What actions are necessary through me that can bring happiness and joy and blessing to them? See, kindness, I'm going to try to distinguish this a little bit more, Kindness is the inner disposition that the Spirit of God creates that makes you sensitive to the needs of other people. I mean, listen, if the Spirit of God is filling you with kindness, you're becoming increasingly sensitive to what somebody else needs. But goodness is the Spirit-created movement to meet those needs with a generous display of your time and your strength and your resources. You know, somebody once said that patience is suffering love, kindness is compassionate love, and goodness is ministering love. That's a very good way to really capture the differences of these three virtues. Now, by the way, look at the order. Kindness precedes, right? It's in front of goodness because you can't give away what you don't have. So as the Spirit of God fills your heart, as you're walking with him and you're surrendered to him, and he fills you with a compassion, he fills you with a love, he fills you with a desire to be able to bring happiness and joy to other people, then it's naturally followed by the Spirit of God then giving you the power to get moving and to give you the, the display of that kindness to really help people around you. Now let's just stop for just a second because I find this really very valuable, valuable in my own life. Maybe it is for you too. So let's stop and do something really quick. A little exercise. Right now, I mean, I'm really making this, I think, pretty clear what kindness is and what goodness looks like. So just really stop for a second. Are you filled with goodness? Is that just welling up in you? Is kindness welling up in you and finding that it cannot be contained? Goodness is the overflow of kindness. Goodness is the display of that kindness. Goodness is the determination. I'm going to bring joy to somebody else. I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to live my life for somebody else. That's what goodness really looks like. So really just take stock. How are you doing with that? It's the Spirit of God producing this in you. Can you imagine just for a moment? I mean, just this is truly something you've got to really imagine. I don't know any church is doing this, but can you imagine Cornerstone? Know, we got between 560, 600 people that come in all of our services. Can you imagine 560 people that are welling up with kindness that absolutely demands to find expression? And that is displayed among each other so that not one person ever visits this church without really being impacted by true kindness and goodness. Do you have any needs? How can I bless you this week? Hey, I'm just calling you tonight just to uh, just see how you're doing. I heard you had surgery. Can I make you a meal? Oh, no, I didn't go through the meal ministry. I could have, but man, I just... Can I make you a meal? Do you need anything? Do you need your snow removed? Do you need your, your yard mowed? Listen, goodness is the display of kindness. Can you imagine being in a church where every single one of us is welling up and spilling over with kindness and goodness? Wouldn't that be amazing? Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good that's our word that's our greek word in every work of faith by his power in other words goodness demands display every work of faith goodness is love expressed it's in the generosity of serving other people it's the natural heart result of a heart filled with kindness So I brushed a lot on that one. Let me give you one, the next major brushstroke. Goodness received. How do you get this? If that's what goodness is, well, how do you get it? I mean, I would think you're hungering to know this, right? I mean, don't you want to live this way? Don't you want to be in a church where people live this way? Don't you want to be in a neighborhood where people are living and spilling over kindness and acts of goodness? Well, how do you receive it? The goodness is the attribute of Jesus that's being poured into every Christian by the Spirit of God? And as you walk with the Spirit of God, and as you surrender to the Spirit of God, as He leads you, all of these are what Galatians 5 is talking about. As you are surrendered to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God says, Great, I've got a willing heart. I'm going to pour, and I'm going to pour, and I'm going to pour the attributes of Jesus in you. And it's going to revolutionize your life. It's going to transform your heart. And I'm going to be able to put you on mission, and you're going to be used For my glory. So I'm going to tell you something that might be startling. And then I'm going to explain this so that I hope there will be no misunderstanding. You ready? I'm going to really explain where goodness comes from. Any goodness that's in you. This kind of goodness. And any goodness that's in me, Tim Ackley. Has come only from the spirit of God pouring the life of Christ in me. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, that's our word, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. If you want a life of goodness, God must be with you. And it must be by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot display this goodness in your own virtue. You know, parents all over the world, this is not unique to America, have to frequently tell their children to be good. But you never, ever, ever need to tell your children to be bad. You don't. Being bad comes naturally to all of us. But goodness is unnatural. Goodness is the powerful work of the Spirit of God in the Christian. And this fruit can only be lived by a Christian. But you might be saying, listen, are you alert? Because I'm wondering if you're saying this in your mind. Are you wondering, well, wait a minute, Tim. I know people who are more good than a lot of Christians that I know. They do a lot more good things. I know people in aren't believers that would jump on a grenade to save their unit. I know people that give everything away. They're not Christians, they don't go to church, they don't profess Jesus. So how can you say that this goodness is only the possession of the Christian because the Spirit of God's pouring it into them? How do you explain that? Let me teach you something about all of these fruit, by the way. And this is a theological truth. It's not complicated. It is vitally important because this is going to be an argument that you will most definitely hear at some point in your life. I know, that I know non-believers who are better people than Christians. You're going to hear that at some point in your life. The Bible looks at these nine fruit virtues with two distinct perspectives. Two ways, two outlooks. The first one, ready? Now listen, I'm going to explain this. The first one is with the measuring rod of the law of God. And it evaluates the external performance of the person. All right. so you've got one perspective. You've got the law of God which says, you shall not steal. Now you might know somebody in your life that says, you know what, I I hate stealing. They don't go to church. They're not professing to be a Christian. But they hate stealing, and and they might live their entire life not consciously ever stealing anything. And would you say then that they have goodness in them? Well, if you're evaluating them from the measuring rod of the law, then you could say that is a good person. That person never stole anything. But there's a second perspective of the gospel You're right? Now, this is really important. Not only is it the first one, evaluating your external performance against the law of God, there's a second one where God looks at the heart, and there's an evaluation that he makes on the heart. You see, there's an inward aim, there's an inward standard, and it goes like this. What is your motivation to not steal? And if your motivation to not steal is, I just don't think it's a good thing to do. I wouldn't want somebody to steal from me, so I'm not going to steal from them. I had somebody steal from me once, and it stunk it was painful so i've determined i'm never going to steal from anybody else if that's your inward motivation you have fallen short of the glory of god the only motivation in your heart that passes the standard of god is that you don't steal because listen because you love the lord your god with your heart soul mind and strength if your motivation is anything less than that then you've fallen short of His standard See, there's an external measuring rod called the law. Do not steal. It's one of the commands. But there's an internal motivation that says the reason you don't steal is because you love the Lord your God more than you love anybody else. There's no non-believer that can say that. It's not possible. And not only do you not steal because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, all the Ten Commandments have a flip side, a positive side. Not only should we not steal, but we should give generously to all. See, God sees the heart, and his evaluation goes to that depth. Why are you doing what you're doing? And if a person is to do a good deed, then listen, it's got to conform, yes, to the law of God's commands, but that action must spring from a heart where your highest motivation is to love God. You want nothing more than to honor Him. If you're there because the power of God has set you free from the penalty and the power of sin, and you're learning to love God more than anybody else, listen, you're motivated by a godly desire. See, when you consider human performance from this level, an unbeliever might do good, might not steal, but they cannot be filled with goodness that's motivated to love and honor God, that is displayed in never wanting to take from another what doesn't belong to them. See, why do you think Jesus said, a very cryptic statement to that rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, Luke 18, 19. What was he saying? Was he saying, I'm not really God? That's not what he was saying. He's forcing that rich young ruler to do two things. One, to profess that he is in the presence of God, Jesus the Nazarene, the Son of God. And secondly, that he, as sinner, while he conformed to the external part of the law, the rich young ruler, he couldn't honestly say that he was doing everything because of a pure Love for God with all of his heart, soul, mind, strength. See, goodness is given to us by the Spirit of God. He's pouring into us the character of strength. So I've defined goodness. I've told you how you receive it, but I'm really not getting yet to the part that we, I think, all want. So let's get there. Two more brush strokes. What's it look like? Let's look at goodness illustrated, and then we're really going to see what it can look like in the Christian's life. You see, the word here for goodness, by the way, it only takes place four times in the New Testament. There's only four times this Greek word is in there. So there's not a whole lot of definition, but there's a whole lot of action. Look at Acts 9. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good. That's the root of our word, agathos, works and acts of charity. Now, wouldn't you like somebody to describe you like this? Man, that's Tim Ackley. He was full of good works and acts of charity. That just strikes who he was. No, I'm hoping, I want that, I'm hungry for that. Colossians 6, 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good, there's our word, to everyone and especially to those who are, who are of the household of faith. So there's actually a tier program. Let's do good to everybody, let's let kindness spill over into actions of goodness, but tier it especially, especially to the church, especially to fellow Christians, Ladies, listen to this, 1 Timothy 2. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Listen, this is why we encourage this. For all of our ladies and men, but for all of our ladies, how out of vogue is this? Yet it's still infallibly relevant. Ladies, adorn yourself with respectable apparel, with modesty, with self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Listen, that doesn't mean you can't braid your hair. It just means... don't put your confidence in your external beauty, look at your heart, but but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. That's what God finds beautiful. I mean, come on, ladies, do you ever wonder, what does God find beautiful? Because our country skewed the standards. Just walk through the checkout line at your grocery store. You're going to find an incredibly distorted standard. Ladies, I feel so bad for you growing up and living in this impossible standard world. Your beauty is so much deeper than your skin. Put your confidence in what God says. You you want to know what God says about you? He finds you unbelievably, ravishingly beautiful when your life is full of good works. That's when you catch God's eye, and he does his double take, and he says, now that's a beautiful woman. See, nothing is more beautiful on a woman, honestly, or a man, that is a life of good works. It's clothing made from the best material. You know where you get the clothing for goodness? You get it from kindness. Kindness. See, goodness is built on selflessness, and it's best seen when it's in action. So we're going to get to our fourth brushstroke in just a moment. But let me tell you about Jesus. There's nobody better to talk about than Jesus anyways, right? If you know the Gospels... And you know the stories of Jesus. I'm going to show you where his kindness was displayed. I'm going to give you one example of that. And then I'm going to give you an example where his goodness was displayed. Do you remember that woman the Bible says was a woman of the city? That's just code for prostitute, adulterer where she broke into Simon the Pharisee's home, where he's having a dinner party, and the guest of honor was Jesus, and they're reclined at the table, and she comes in, To the gasp of all the Pharisees gathered and she begins to weep on his feet and begins to break open costly perfume and anoint his feet. Do you remember that story? And the fact that Jesus silenced Simon the Pharisee and he refused to judge this girl, this woman. And yet he lifted her up and he exalted her and he said, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. That's kindness. Listen, if you want to know what the heart of Jesus was like, you want to know what he'd be like with you, especially when you have a week of sinfulness? You know what he'd be like with you? He'd be tender. He wouldn't be scathing in his retort. He would be looking at you with love. He would not be looking down his nose at you. He would not be looking with anger. He'd be looking at you and saying, listen, you and I could do better than this, and I want to help. I love you. And I want to bless your life. That's what Jesus would do after our worst weeks of sin. But what would his goodness look like? Do you remember when he made the whip? Actually, that was early in his ministry. He did this twice. How about the time, the week of his crucifixion, where he walked into his father's house and he drove the greedy moneylenders out. He overturned their tables. Do you understand that's what goodness looks like? Damn, that doesn't look like goodness at all. That is goodness. Goodness says, This is my Father's house, is to be a house of prayer. And goodness involves sometimes discipline and correction, whatever it's going to be to drive you to repentance. And sometimes God says, listen, you had your worst week of sin. I need to discipline you. I need to correct you. It's not out of anger. It's not out of spite. It's not out of a desire to be pushing you away from me. It's out of desire to get you to repent, to get you back with me. I want you walking with me. So I'm going to overturn the moneylender tables in your heart. You're going to struggle a little bit, but the outcome is going to be sweet. It's going to be repentance. And you and I are going to be the better for it. See, Jesus Christ was and He is perfectly good. And His goal for you and His goal for me is that we become just like Him. How? He sent His Spirit. Brushstroke number four. Here we go. Last one. Goodness lived. What's it look like when you live out goodness because the Spirit of God is? producing it in your life well here's our final point most of us are very familiar with ephesians 2 which teaches that salvation is by grace but we ought to be just as familiar with verse 10 right we know ephesians 2 8 9 but do you know verse 10 it goes like this for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works there's our word How theological is this which God prepared beforehand? Before what? Before he created the earth. Did you know that God created your good works, Christian, before he created the earth? And he created them, look at the end of the verse, that you should walk in them. That I should walk in them. I mean, how amazing is this? Before God created the earth before jesus died on that cross before he created the world god created our good works he planned for them he created them and he invites us to walk in them and he's given us the spirit of god to enable us to walk in them to let goodness be the display of kindness so every day a christian really listen to this and I, i really need your attention this is really critically important Every day, no matter how common the moment is, you and I have the opportunity to walk in those good works and display the goodness of Jesus to all those around us. Now listen, this is the even more critical part. It will almost always be in the most normal, mundane moments. Not when there's a car out of control and you fly across the road and you rescue the baby in the carriage. Those are abnormal, awesome opportunities, but they don't come very often, even if if in a lifetime. The very mundane, normal moments are your opportunities displayed goodness. And he equips us to be able to do this, to display that goodness from the inside out. Look at what the Word of God says in 2 Timothy. I love this. This is why we got to be in the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? What's the result? That the man of God, or the woman of God, may be complete. Here it is. Equipped for every good work. So you got to merge the theology. If God created all of our good works before he made the planet and the solar system, he's already planned them out. He invites us to walk in them. Well, listen, the way you walk in them is to be in the word. And as the scriptures are in you and they're living and active, they're changing your perspective. They're changing your outlook, your opportunities as, as opportunities to display goodness, not just pain in the rear-end moments. This is the opportunity that God has created for you to display it. It's the power of the Word of God. Now, let's just super, super honestly take stock. Because some of us, we got to change our perspective. Let's just start with our jobs Listen, there's, this is true for every person that's working in this building right now. You've been given your job by God. I mean, come on, you believe he's sovereign, right? You believe he is sitting on a throne and he brings all matters In conformity to his will, that's his sovereignty. He's got the power to bring everything in conformity to his will. He's sovereign. You've got the job. He gave it to you. That's your opportunity to display the good works he created before he made the earth. It's your opportunity to be in the word, to know how to live those good works. It's your opportunity to be walking with the spirit, filling your heart with kindness so it overflows in goodness in those normal mundane moments at work listen your job is of course an opportunity to earn income to pay your bills provide for your needs but listen your job is way deeper if you don't know this then this is your opportunity to get a new perspective your job is deeper than paying bills it's more significant than gaining wealth your job is the primary place where you can display the goodness of christ I mean, listen, you spend more than half of your life at work. Half of your waking hours are at work. Yet for many of us, we're throwing away opportunities to do good, but we're just not realizing that God gave us that job in order to display his goodness. And what this looks like is simply meeting the needs of ordinary people perhaps helping a coworker with their assignment when you're not even getting paid to do it or perhaps a smile to someone who's obviously struggling and an offer to pray with them or gently refusing to gossip or slander a coworker or going the extra mile for a very difficult customer So the question is, listen, how do you live out goodness? Are you pursuing your job as your opportunity to display the goodness of Christ? But listen, it's not just work, and I'm almost done. It's not just work, but it's in life. Normal life, that the goodness of the Spirit of God is to be displayed. Listen, listen to the early church's advice. This is pretty cool, by the way. This, we listen to this as deacons in our church. It, who are we to give benevolence to? Well, we gain our instruction from the Word of God. Listen to this. Let a widow be enrolled in benevolence if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for what? Good works. That's not even our Greek word, by the way. That's a different Greek word. It goes on. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good, that's our word, work. Listen, they... They had a criteria, if they wanted a widow on their benevolence program of the early church, she needed to be living a life of goodness that spills over kindness. See, a person full of goodness has a heart turned toward others. They live generously with no thought of a return for themselves. Do you know, I'm going to be really, just be really honest, because I'm part of the problem too. Let's just be really honest. Do you know that Christians are the biggest problem for Christianity? Do you know that? The biggest problem for Christianity is not the power of God. It's not the sufficiency of the scriptures. It's not even the entity called the church. It's the Christians that make up the church. The world ought to be taking notice of our good works so that we can glorify the God who saved us and we've got to resist the impulse to climb inside selfishness. So let me just challenge you as we begin to end and I'm going to be done in very, very, maybe three minutes. Just think personally. Are you honestly full of good works, Christian? I'm only speaking to the Christian. If you're not a believer right now, listen, can I just ask you, why aren't you? Salvation is yours through Christ. But if you are a believer, you've brought yourself to Christ. He's brought, him, he's brought you to Himself, and you've poured out your faith on Him, your trust in Him, the sufficiency of Christ. He died for you, He's given you life, and you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins, and He has brought you into the family of God. Listen, I'm going to talk to you. Are you full of good works? Are you devoted to every good work? Are you being equipped for every good work? Are you professing salvation by your good works? You don't even need to sometimes say anything. It's your works that are going to say it. You see, goodness is the rational, thought-out, deliberate display of kindness to any and all, whether they've displayed that kindness to you or not. And a good person, listen, you got to hear this, a good person will never allow evil to run rampant and let people be treated unjustly if they've got the power to do something about it. Goodness steps in to relieve suffering. It does what it can to stop and control the effects of evil. And what's it do it with? Not angry Facebook posts, not scathing Instagram messages. It does it with the love and the kindness and the power of Jesus Christ. It sacrifices, not becoming weary of doing good, but as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the church. I'm going to close with one more thought. This is going to take me 33 seconds. Very deliberate. Goodness, when it is spilling out of kindness in your heart by the power of the Spirit of God, it would. Allow for not one person in Cornerstone Church to ever say what King David said in Psalm 142. I look for someone to come and help me. But no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. If you've got goodness in your life, and if Cornerstone is full of people with goodness by the power of the Spirit of God, there is no one that would ever come through the doors of this church that could legitimately say that because they'd be loved. That's the power of goodness. Get in the Word of God. Not a day should go by that you're not in the Word of God. It is living and active. Let it change your life. Get on your knees and invite the Spirit of God. Change me. Fill me with kindness. Let it overspill in goodness. And let me be your love to people who are in need. Amen.